You're listening to the Gate Charlotte Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. You are, bro. Thanks, God. Well, where do we go now? Keep going. Wow. Get ready, man. We're we going to have to cram a whole lot more people in here. Because people are going to come and just want to drink of his goodness. He's so good. I'm going to share a few thoughts with you. I'm going to try to share a few thoughts with you. And we'll see where we go. I, uh, I talked last week some from Nehemiah. Uh, did it get darker in here or was it just my eyes? Oh, it, it darkened. It's like, am I slowly passing out? Or <laughs> <laughs> it's just like I closed my eyes and reopened them. It was like something changed. <laughs> Everything's getting darker. Um, you don't have to. <laughs> I like it. I feel like I'm looking at two cars getting ready to hit me the whole time I preach with these lights, so I don't mind it. They can do what they need to for the cameras. Um, last week I talked with you some about Nehemiah. I actually don't remember what I talked about a lot of last week because I was in another place last week. Um, but I did. I talked a little bit about Nehemiah and talked to you about you know, we just talked a little bit about how to deal with distractions, how to deal with when you come under attack, when you're building something, and we are building something, and the enemy will come after us. He will, and it's nothing to be scared of. The, the enemy is a loser. <laughs> Treat him that way. He's already lost. He is the all-time loser. And there's nothing to fear with the devil. There's nothing at all to fear with the devil. And, um, but there is an awareness of just his tactics, his tactics have been many of them the same for a very long time. He, he tried a lot of them with Nehemiah, tried them with Jesus. You know, you read the story of Jesus and, um, you know, it was an attack on what he was, you know, he was called to reveal the father. To reveal the father, you have to know that you're the son. It's hard to reveal the father if you don't know you're the son, <laughs> And so Jesus, at his baptism, was baptized, the heavens opened, and there was this amazing moment where Jesus came into this powerful affirmation of the Father where he said, this is my son, I'm so pleased in you. Um, and I don't want to re-preach last week, I don't have time, but the point was, is one of the things to be aware of is that Jesus hadn't done anything yet, and so often we feel like we attach our awareness of um, God's pleasure over us to what we do. And he hadn't done anything yet. He was just his son. But the, he was taken straight into the wilderness and tempted. And we think about the temptations. But the real root of all the temptations was that the enemy would come to Jesus and say, if you're the son of God, you know, turn this you know, stone into bread. If you're the son of God, it was an immediate attack on the revelation he just came out of. Anytime you receive a fresh revelation from the Lord, it's just part of it. You're, the enemy is going to go after it. 
Nehemiah was the same way. He had come and he was rebuilding the walls to the city. They'd rebuilt the temple. Ezra had rebuilt the temple. And, um, you know, here's Nehemiah building the wall and the enemy's coming to him. You know, well, you'll get tired. You know, and, and gossip and starting all these, you know, trying to stop paying out prophets to try to prophesy <laughs> against him. And he pressed through, and I want to I look at a couple other things as we read on in that story, because Nehemiah, as I said before, Nehemiah means comforter, and in so many ways, Nehemiah is a picture of the Holy Spirit. I think in the same way that Nehemiah was rebuilding a wall around a city, the Holy Spirit's desire is to get you built back up, that there's no holes and there's no cracks in you, because the enemy will find access, And so in the same way that Nehemiah was much of a prototype for that, the Holy Spirit's intention is to build you up. It's to find areas of weakness and to strengthen them up. It's to take out any access points. And he doesn't want you mostly intact. It's not okay to be a, a, a I'm pretty good at my husband game, but I'm a terrible dad game. <laughs> he wants you to be built up into the man and woman of God that he's called you to be. And so often I think that, you know, I, I hear it from people all the time. Well, you know, my dad dealt with that and his dad dealt with that. Well, yeah, but if you trace it far enough back to your father, he didn't deal with that. And you're supposed to look like him. And so there's, there's these things that in our life often we have to deal with. We, there's this process of I talked about it in our growth track last Wednesday. I talked about two of our um, values. I think my brain's so mushy right now. But two values that we had. One of them was growing, and the other one was being healthy. And it's important because I'm going to take you through a little walk here of just the importance of us being healthy people. But I'm going to open up, as a matter of fact, open up your Bibles this morning. Just go ahead and flip over to, to Nehemiah chapter 8 is where we're going to jump in this morning. And before we get in there, I want to talk to you a little bit about where they're at right here. Um, you know, Nehemiah has rebuilt the walls to the city. Ezra has rebuilt the temple. And we step into this really interesting moment where, you know, the people had been in captivity. And now they've come out of captivity and they have not heard, at this point, it was the book of Moses, or you could say the book of law. They have not heard this book in generations. Can you imagine that if in, in that time, you know, this was obviously pre-cross, that, you know, a lot of your, you know, salvation was having to do with how well you kept the law. And so all of a sudden, they sit down and the priests stand up and they start to read the law and they, this is where we're picking up. They've not heard it, many of them. And so it's a pretty big moment. It said that the, uh, the priest would sit there from morning until afternoon every day just reading the law. Talk about a depressing atmosphere. It was not like your covenant that you're in. It was just a list of do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And this is where we're going to pick up in this scene here is in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9. And it says, um, let's see here. And Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people to, said to all the people, 
This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Pause there. They were not overcome with goodness. They were not like, oh, Jesus is so good. And they're, the morning that I'm going to talk about this morning, don't, don't get confused. There is a morning of an awareness of how good God is, but there's also an, a morning that the enemy wants to put on you to make you aware of who you, he wants to make you aware of who you're not. Both of them can produce mourning. When you come into the presence of God and you, you encounter the goodness of him, sometimes you do cry. But it's a different type of crying than feeling like a worm. In this passage, they feel like the dirt of the earth. Because here they are, they've not heard any of the law or anything for generations. And all of a sudden, Ezra the priest begins to read them. And, all, and the people are weeping. No. <laughs> the people are crying because they feel terrible. But interesting, I want you to see some things here. The response says, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. Everybody say holy. And do not be grieved, for the Lord... For the joy of the Lord is your strength. I'm going to read that again. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people. Interesting, the Levites, what are they? They're worshipers. There's so much just prophetic, like pointing towards something in the future. The worshipers calmed all the people. I lost my place. This is not an epic pause. Hold on. <laughs> there it is. Found it. Maybe the Lord wanted that pause, but I just lost my place. Um, so the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. Here we are again. It's holy. Don't be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and make great rejoicing because they understood the words that were declared to them. We'll just kind of hang out there a second. This passage is, is, is really loaded with some incredible nuggets. Often what I like to do when I preach is I like to find, we, we see um, a lot of times in old covenants, and this was, you know, in the law of Moses, there's, there's pictures of, there's realities that are pointing towards things that now we get to live in. They only could experience it on a day. This was a holy day. You don't have a holy day. You as a believer have a holy life. Yeah. Things changed. And, and so I'm going to point back and forth a little bit from a couple things from this passage that I think is so powerful to just connect. For example, the Levites. Um, we also see it with um, David when David was still, uh, before he was king, that David was a unique cookie because he was stepping into things that honestly were not, it wasn't time yet. Um, he was beginning to usher in the idea of worship and presence 24-7, which was something that was coming with the cross and the shedding of blood with Jesus because that's what you and I get to live in. David was beginning to usher something in in the natural that wasn't even time yet because he sensed what was coming. But remember when King Saul would call David into his 
chambers. He would be demonically attacked, and he would come, and he would play his instrument, and he would what? He would usher in the presence of the Lord. We see similar here. The, the Levites, the ones that were known for their worship, they poured their love out on Jesus. They were the ones that could calm people down because they had an understanding just like you right now. You have an understanding of who Jesus is in this moment coming out of that worship service. You could walk out that door and probably step in almost any situation and calm it because right now you're so connected with him. You're so aware of his goodness right now. It's all over your faces. You're in la-la land. You just sat in the presence of Jesus. And at this moment, you can walk into any situation. And like I talked about last week, you can come in and be a peacemaker because you're so aware of him. And so prophetically, we see that happening. And there's this, this phrase in here that says, do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Um, most of us feel that if, we, <laughs> often I think our mindset is that if I could just get into a place where I could get strong, I would feel joy again. Which is a great idea, it's just not Biblical. Because joy is what ushers you into strength. Strength doesn't usher you into joy. The idea that when I get strong, I'll get joy is not, what, it's not how it works. You see, Jesus, I'm going to go all over the place. I can feel it. But Jesus was looking at the cross and, and what he said that it was the joy that was set before him. So the cross is in between him and his joy. What is his joy? You are his joy. What he wanted to see happen, the purpose of him coming and walking to reveal the Father, for you to step into who you are. He is ready for things to be set back right again. He's ready to walk with his kids again. I mean, look at just the picture of the Father in the garden. There's, there's the, just think about the picture of this. Um, a God that just wants to walk in the cool of the evening with his kids. I mean, think about this. This is something that those of you that are married, you know, you probably get this too. You know, often you just want to take a, a stroll with your spouse. You go to the beach. You just want to, you know, just take a walk. It's something that's just, I don't have to say a lot. There's just something in that moment that is very real to me. That's, that is where we open the book is he creates man and says, I just want to stroll with you. I just want to talk with you. We've been filled with so much bad teaching and bad doctrine about um, how God turned his back and how God pushed them away when in all reality, it was completely the other way of us constantly pushing him away. And he was constantly in pursuit of us. And I, I'm not going to go too far into that. I'll teach on that another day maybe. But the idea of, you know, God constantly turning away is a, is a, is a it's so sad. Because he's always pursuing us. We're constantly, the story of Adam and Eve was a constant turning away. I mean, he made clothes for them. He loved them. Even in their shame, he was still trying to come and to love them. And we see the moment where Jesus is coming to the cross, and here's the cross, and on the other side of it is, <laughs> it's you stepping into what you're called to be. And so the cross is the reconciliation of man and God, but then there is the 
coming into who you're called to be. And, and the Bible says that when Jesus was approaching the cross, he was very much feeling the weight and the pain of what he was getting ready to go into. It said that he pulled away from everyone he went, and he just prayed by himself with God. And, and here's this moment where he puts joy in front of him. Why? Because he knows the only thing that can give him the strength that he needs to get through this is joy. Is joy. He didn't say, when I, he didn't say that when I get through this, I get joy. <laughs> it was as I focus on joy, it gets me through this. Joy is not always, the, the lie is that joy is on the other side. And that's a lie. Sometimes there's feelings that are great after breakthrough. There's, I get that. But joy is your vehicle to breakthrough. You with me? And the reality is, is that there's a couple things that just over the years I've, I've come to understand. One is um, your ministry, those of you, you know, we're all called the ministry. Your ministry will never outgrow your love. Your, your ministry, your, cap, your ability to minister will never outgrow your love. It might for a little while, but it will come back. And the second thing is that your strength will never go farther than your joy. Your strength will never go farther than your joy. And we're so often stuck. Um, how do I say this? Um, we get stuck feeling sorry for ourselves. And often, joy is, we, we have a better capacity, typically in church, for mourning than we do for laughing. If I set two people in front of you in the middle of a heavy moment of worship, and one of them is mourning, you'll say, oh, Jesus is just touching them. It's beautiful. If the other one starts cracking up, you'd go, what in the world? That's the flesh. That's the flesh. Why? Because we are more comfortable with mourning than joy. Because mourning doesn't come with anything that wants to get you out of where you are. Joy will always push you forward. So our natural state when we're in a pity party is, is mourning. Because joy will push you forward. Joy doesn't let go. And the church often gets, it gets offended when joy breaks out. I watch it every time it happens. I see someone start laughing. I'm like, here we go. And someone else starts laughing. And then someone looks like, excuse me. <laughs> and then usually it's the person with the stank face that God surrounds them with all the laughers. <laughs> and they're just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> See, I hear the testimonies. I hear the people that come up to me on the end that say, I've been suicidal all week. And say, something hit me in that service that broke it off and all I could do was laugh. I, I, hear, the, I hear those stories. That all this, the joy was God setting them free. And, and, and they've been in mourning for months and years. And all of a sudden, joy kicked in. And we are not always comfortable with that, but we need to become really comfortable with joy. 
the, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And it's not the, you know, I, there's, yeah, I'm not going to say that. But the joy of the Lord. <laughs> let me t- if you haven't figured this out yet, let me tell you something about me. When I preach, my mind is like 15 thoughts ahead of my mouth. Sometimes I catch it before it comes out. So just go with me because I'm like, I'm editing my sermon in my head. And uh, I, I don't want to say that sometimes it's just me being, I just need to watch what I say. But, um, but uh, joy is our strength. Yet the joy is also offensive to the religious spirit. Because the religious spirit is not looking for you to grow. It's looking for you to, yeah, to just do a routine. I would rather have a church full of people laughing than a church full of people crying every week. Um, I get it. There's moments of, of, of tears. I had some of those this morning. But I love laughter. And I believe that laughter is healing. I believe that laughter can change things. I, I tell people this, and I'll probably get somebody to come up to me at the end and go after me for this, but that's okay. Um, you know how you can walk into a hospital and you can feel the weight of the atmosphere? I don't know, for those of you that feel things, you walk in, it's heavy, it's weighty, it's just, uh, it's yuck. You go into the ER, it's just, uh, and um, now, don't come at me, all right? But like, I like Disney World, all right? I do. <laughs> you can pull onto the property, and in the same way that you can feel weight in a hospital, you can feel joy in an atmosphere. I know y'all are more spiritual than me. I'm sure I'm going to get emailed to me like the truth behind Walt Disney after this sermon. But uh, (laughs) it happens every time, all right? Let me just blow your bubble. Anytime you email me something like that, I'm just going to say anything can be redeemed. You can try it with Christmas. You can try it with anything. I'm going to say anything can be redeemed. Amen, Pastor John. (laughs) Because I ain't got time to, all right, all right. <laughs> Anyways, I, you can, there is something that can happen, and that's not even a joy. That, I mean, I can encounter the Lord, and I've said this before. I can encounter him in a moment at the symphony. I can be in the presence of the Lord. I can, I can have these moments with God that no one's preaching. I am just encountering his creativity. You see, that's what happens when you go places like that. You go to a symphony. You go to a, a theme park like that. You go to... Um, Whatever it is for you, you step in these places, and it's not about their whole experience necessarily. It's about you experiencing the creativity that the Father put in someone, and you're experiencing a side of him you've never felt before, even if they're not saved. Nowhere does it say in the Scripture he turns off the creativity that he put within them until they give their life to Jesus. I do believe that if you give your life to Jesus, there is an access to more. But it doesn't shut off. (laughs) And so there is an atmosphere that we get to steward that when we come in here on a Sunday morning and and that we get to just be a place where people come in and feel joy. You should not walk into a church and it feels dead. You should not walk into my city and it feels dead. I want people to fly into Charlotte and just laugh. Why do I feel like laughing when I land here? It's happy. (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't, yeah, this is fun. <laughs> All right, let me give you some more scripture so you feel spiritual. Um, Hebrews chapter 2, that's a really good one. That'll make you feel really good. Hebrews chapter 12, I'll just read one because it's so much fun. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, run, um, let us set aside every weight... And sin, which clings so closely, and let us run with the endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. (laughs) Joy is a big deal. Joy is a big deal. Even in this moment in Nehemiah, they're coming into this awareness of how they've not been doing real well with life, and they're, they're weeping, and they're saying, listen, guys, guys, be joyful. It is a time to celebrate. These festivals were a big deal. Did, <laughs> did you know that there were three tithes in your Bible? Yeah, most of you know one. There's three tithes in your Bible. There was the one tithe that we know about, but there, that, that they would bring in the 10%, and at that point, they would bring it in primarily for the Levites. And, and, but the second tithe that most people don't know about is that they were instructed to put aside a tenth of their salary for the festivals. It was a tithe to go party. Some of you are like... <sighs> the third one was a tithe to the poor. They set aside three tithes. One was to the house of God, one was to the festivals, and one was to the poor. There was a value for getting away, and I'm going to get into that in a minute, but there was a value for getting away (laughs) and having a good time. (laughs) I got some really fun thoughts in my head. Hang in there. Um, Don't weep. This is a place for joy. (laughs) Let's read verse 12 again. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. What were they coming into an understanding? What were the words that were declared to them? Holiness and joy. Holiness and joy resulted in celebration. They began to understand it. And it said, because of the things they were understanding, they began to celebrate. (laughs) The Bible says in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. I want you to get this. Two-thirds of the kingdom of God is feelings. (laughs) All right, this is is a fun one, because especially here in the South. We really, we really preach down on feelings. It's not about feelings. Well, actually, <laughs> according to Romans, feelings are pretty powerful. Now, bad feelings, on the other hand, ungodly feelings can really just you know, run you off the rails. But the reality is, is that the kingdom of God is two-thirds feelings. It's peace. It's experiencing the peace that surpasses understanding, and it's joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. 
Now, that really changes things when you begin to understand the importance of, remember where I started this whole thing, on being healthy, on having the whole, letting the Holy Spirit keep you in a healthy place. Because if your feelings and your emotional health and all that is a wreck, it's hard to experience the kingdom of God, which is through peace, faithfulness, and joy. <laughs> I like this. David said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's an experiential fit. Oh, taste, then you'll see that the Lord is good. I've told this story. There's so many new people here. I always have fun telling it again. Um, sometimes you have to taste of something before you really see how good it is. Um, I'm going to make everybody hungry. Um, we used to have a gentleman that went to this church years ago that um, he managed a steakhouse in South Park, um, Ruth Chris Steakhouse. And um, I'd never been there, and uh, he had invited me to come, and he invited Tiffany and I, and he said, hey, John, we'd just love for you to come hang out with me. And um, I knew where he worked, and I said, you need to define what hangout means, because <laughs> um, this hangout could cost me a whole lot of money. And uh, <laughs> he said, no, 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 just, just, just come on down. Um, I'll take care of you. Like, oh, uh, thanks so much. So we, we showed up, and I mean, it was like from the beginning to the end was a just an experience of what would you like? What kind of appetizers would you like? I said, oh, wow, okay. Hey, bring them. I'll tell you what. Bring, bring them one of everything. I look like the biggest, like, glutton ever at this meal. Like, my table was covered in every appetizer they offered, and it brought us the best steaks. And then at the end, you want dessert? Well, hey, you know. Yes. <laughs> he said, do you have kids? I said, yeah. He said, how about we send some home for your kids? Yeah. And it actually said, do you have a babysitter? Yeah, I'll send something for them too. Oh, feel the Lord on this story. <laughs> you see, I, I came away from that experience in a couple different things. One was experiencing a tremendous generosity. But the other thing I experienced was that I got to taste and see they got some really good food there. <laughs> People are not looking for food critics. <laughs> People are looking for those that will taste and see and then can say from experience that, no, you don't understand. The Lord is good. Why? Not because, well, let me flip and show you this. I value scripture. But I, I also really like when someone can say, here has been what I know of the Lord. And here is my taste. Let me help you see. You see, this is important because our job is to represent him well. That's really what we're called to do. We're called to represent the Lord. It's hard to represent something that we've never tasted of. And that's why this morning is so beautiful. That's why worship is so beautiful. It's not a warm-up for me. It is to give you a, another uh, understanding, a revelation of who God is. The angels, the cherubims, the seraphims, they sit in heaven and they sing, holy, 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 holy. And what does it say? God churns and they see another side of him they've never seen before. And holy, holy, holy. Let me tell you something. If we keep coming on a Sunday morning and we just keep coming to worship the Lord, there is always another side of him. You will never run out of holies if your eyes are focused on him. Because he will churn and you will see something else and you'll say, 
holy, holy. As soon as you think you've seen that part of God, he turns again, holy. holy. You ever had those moments in worship? It's like, you don't know if you're going to take anymore. You know, you know, just holy, holy. We have to have these moments to experience him. Because that's how we represent him. And to do that, we have to be able to feel. We have to have ourselves built up. No holes. No, our foundation can't be falling apart. Yeah, John. <laughs> so often, I think we have the same experience where... Uh, <laughs> I mean, truth be known, we still see that in church today, the reading of scriptures and a lot of people crying and feeling bad. <laughs> you see, there is an invitation. They lived in a covenant that was different than yours. You see, the things have changed. It says in 1 Peter, I think 1, 16 maybe, it says, be holy as I am holy. You see, you are holy because you are in him and he is holy. You don't have to attain it. When you have set your affection on him, when you have given your life to Jesus, welcome to holiness. Amen. The problem is, is we often teach teachings on the topic of purity and we use the word holiness. So we confuse people. Because purity is something that between us and the Lord, he will give you boundaries and he will give you things. And the word, too, by the way. You can't just say, well, he didn't convict me of that. Some things are pretty obvious. Don't try that one on me. <laughs> but there are things that he will give us convictions. He will give us boundaries because he knows what's best for us out of love. And there are things that I want to live in a place where my heart is pure before him. But you see, there's purity and there's holiness. If I am in him... I really can't screw up holiness unless I leave him. You got to get this if you want to understand the fullness of what this was pointing to. That, you know, there is joy when you begin to realize the holiness of God. You are in him. We, this thing is really set up pretty well. Joy is an expression of faith. Joy is an expression of faith. Joy is when you actually believe the good things that God's already spoken over your life. Hallelujah. I'm going to say that again. When you actually begin to believe the good things that God has spoken over your life, joy happens. You begin to believe it. There is the counterfeit. There is, you know, there is disbelief. There is I could go down that road all day when you begin to believe and have more faith in what the enemy is saying over you than God. And that happens a lot. It happens a lot. We do it with other people, too. This is a big one for me that I'm, I'm constantly learning because we, one of the things that we can't do, I shared this in Team Huddle this morning, is we have to be careful of assumptions. Assumption, assuming is the counterfeit of discerning. I'm going to say that again. Assuming is the counterfeit of discerning. The devil will put thoughts in your head about somebody too. And you begin to assume. It's rooted in darkness. 
God will put thoughts in your head and make you aware of things that's rooted in light. It's discerning. The problem is, is when you let assumptions sit in your heart, they're like seeds. They're like seeds that get dropped into soil, and they will grow. And they will ultimately grow into accusations. And the moment that you let assumptions grow into accusations, you've then stepped into witchcraft because the devil is the accuser. I know I use the W word. It's scary. It is scary to accuse people because you set yourself up as a playground for darkness. Accusing is a really dangerous place to live. And we as, we as believers cannot go there. We have to ask the Lord. If you feel things in your heart, you have to be able to come to the place. Is this coming out of pain? Is this coming out of what the enemy is trying to make me perceive about something or someone? Or is this discernment that's coming from the kingdom? Discernment comes with solutions. Accusations come with separation. This will change how you interact with people if you get this. Because you'll feel things. And you ha one of the things we have to grow in is because we need discernment. That is, I think I said that a few weeks ago. It's probably one of the least appreciated gifts in church and the most needed yeah. is discernment. What we don't need is accusations and assumptions. Because what happens is, is we will begin to echo what the enemy is saying over someone else's life. You'll feel it. You'll feel. I mean, honestly, I, I do go a lot, but this is one of the reasons that it is important to get healthy. Because a lot of what I use in discernment is how I feel. What does that mean? You have a conversation with someone. I'll often ask people, what did you feel when you walked away from that? You had a dream. What did you feel when you woke up from that? A lot, of, a lot of the process of learning how to discern is through feelings. That's why it's so important that we have healthy feelings. I know I keep going here. I don't know why the Lord wants this to be said so much. I think it's the third time I've preached and it's come up. But we, we need to just make sure we hit it. We have to have the capacity. We have to be healthy enough that when we encounter things... Often, like I said, for me, I don't have the audible voice of the Lord's like someone says something to me and God's like, John, that's a lie. That would be great. <laughs> I, if he could just text me, that would be great. <laughs> I don't have that. It's usually I talk, my stomach for me will feel upset. I'll feel nauseous. I can feel it. And I immediately will begin to recognize that's not God. Now, in that moment, I still have the option to speak life over them or to begin to accuse them. Because what happens is, is the very same spirit that's trying to accuse you tries to get on you and shoot back at them. And so in that moment, I have the opportunity to say, I don't think they know what they're doing. But I don't receive that. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty verbal in my prayer life with that. I, I say that all the time. I, I think I'll leave that one there. 
You see, we have to become, one of the keys in all this, and I'm, I'm finishing up, is, is this is all rooted in being, we have, when we talk about being in the presence, you begin to just know, you begin to know the presence of your king. You begin to know, when I go into worship, what do I feel? Uh, maybe you feel joy. Maybe you feel, um, you know, whatever it is for you. You begin to learn those feelings. Learn it privately. It helps. <laughs> we talk about, and I, and, I, and I said this a couple weeks ago in the growth track, we talk about the presence a lot. Let me just say it this way. What is the presence? It's a broad term. The most translated thing, uh, the presence in the Old Testament, the, the greatest translation of it that we have is the face of God. If you were to say, John, you're always talking about the presence, the presence, the presence. It's often translated as his face. I want you to think about that. We want to have an encounter with the face of God. What does the face of God represent? Well, it represents his eyes. How does he see things? You get in his presence, you start to see things the way he sees them. How does he speak? You get in his presence, you begin to sound like him. His mind, how does he think? His ears, how does he hear things? You see, when we want to be in the presence all the time, it's really, it's really just being intentional of the scripture in, um, I think it's 2 Corinthians 3, where it talks about that as you look at him, you're being transformed as they're looking into mirror, and you're going from glory to glory. Think about that, glory to glory. What does that mean? When you got saved, when you came to Jesus, you got glory. Some of you are going to have a hard time with this. You're like, well, the Bible says that he gives his glory to no other. That's very true. You are no other. You are in him, and he is in you, the Bible says. So you're not separated from him. You have glory. So when you look at him, you are going from glory to glory. It is an invitation. Oh, my goodness. Think about this. Your life in the kingdom starts with glory. Your starting place is glory. And you're invited to go into more glory. This will set you free of, of, of the mindset like, oh, Lord, and I know we pray it often out of a sincerity, but just show me your glory. Listen, you already have his glory. I want more glory, but there's never a moment in my life that I don't have his glory as a believer. It does, you know, obviously, as a believer, the, the, the context of that scripture is if you'll turn towards him. Your starting place in your walk with the Lord, is glory. You're being invited into more glory. Oh, Holy Spirit. That's all I got. Thank you, Jesus, that there is an invitation into an awareness of how good you are and how great we are too. <laughs> You're so good. 
I feel like I just want to make sure this uh, before we leave. This is important for us to get this. You guys, you live in such a great place. Those of you that are, are believers, <laughs> recognize what you carry. The world needs you to recognize what you carry. The world needs us to become aware of how much we carry. And trying to use fearful tactics to have behavior modification doesn't work well. Jesus came to cast out fear, not for us just to welcome it back. We have to keep fear out, and we have to let love in. Fear is gone. Love is in. And love is a much better motivator than fear ever was. We need to grab that. Be holy as I am holy. What does that mean? Be in him. Stay in Christ. You're seated in heavenly places right now. You may not know it, but you are. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. All right, you can stand. I want to challenge you. I never got around to it, but um, one of the things in here is that sometimes you have to be intentional to, sometimes you have to make space to let joy manifest. What do I mean by that? They had a festival that they went to. They are intentional. I feel like sometimes that we actually have to put ourselves in a place with people that is intentionality that we can experience the joy of God in a way that's new. I don't find it coincidence that behold, this is a day of holiness. Go, go drink, be merry, have fun. It, what is it saying? There is another piece of intentionality that for we as, don't hear what I'm not saying, all right? Some of you are going to go away and be like, I can do what I want now. He said it. Um, I'm, I'm trying to bring an awareness to you that there is an intentionality of doing life with people and setting aside time to have fun with your community. Uh, I, don't, I don't, yeah. If you don't like it, I'll just keep saying it. <laughs> because we should be the funnest people on earth. We should. We should be the funnest people. We come in here. We get to have fun in the presence. You get to leave. You have brothers and sisters that are free. You're free. And you get to enjoy life together. But there's an intentionality that has to happen that you need to reach out to people. You need to connect with people. And you need to, in the same way that I believe that they set aside time to say, we're going to set this chunk aside. And it wasn't just them going away on vacation. It was with a bunch of people. We're coming together. So I just want to challenge you this morning. I don't know. It's a weird end of the sermon, but I don't know. Have fun. <laughs> Have fun. It's a great way to end it. Have fun. <laughs> Let's make it scriptural. It's a holy day. Rejoice. <laughs> it's a holy day. Rejoice. It is a holy thing to rejoice. I think God loves it. And so, Lord, help us understand more and more the freedom that we have in you, Lord. And for anything that God is holding us back, for any uh, mindsets, for any 
uh, anything we've picked up, God, would you just help us to lay it back down if it's not what you're speaking? I feel that so often we have been, um, Lord, I feel like you are the funnest person on earth. I, I, I saw an expression of it a couple Sunday nights ago when Chad was here. The same way that all of the children would come to Jesus. Children find fun people. That's just a kid. They find the fun person. Why? Because they haven't been tainted by religion. They're pure. And God, in the same way that there is a longing for them to connect with fun, God, would you cleanse and purify our hearts so that there is a just uh, an ability to just find you in the joyful things, to find you in the fun things. It is spiritual. Somebody just said it's not spiritual. I heard you. It is spiritual. <laughs> it is spiritual. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you've done today. Um, I feel like so much happened in worship. It was so deep. I will welcome up the prayer team. You can come on up. But, Lord, thank you for what you did in worship and what you will do if any, uh, for those that come up at the end. You're so good. Um, just make it an all-in-one. Lord, thank you for those that give in the offering. <laughs> Bless them. Lord, I pray blessing over finances. I pray that, Lord, that those that are looking for a job, that you would open the doors of heaven and that work would find them. And that, Father, that we believe, we believe that we are blessed. We, are, we believe that we give from a place of blessing, not for a blessing. We are blessed. And we give from that place. So, Father, we honor you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you need prayer, come on up. And if not, say hey to a few people around you before you go home. You've been listening to The Gate Charlotte's podcast. Consider subscribing so you don't miss a message. We're sending this to someone who might need encouragement today. Thanks for joining us.